presents Nick at Night, the sermon by the Reverend Jean Randall Bodman, presented on Sunday, March 8th, 2020. After I graduated from college, about a million years ago now, I spent a year and a half living at home, working and saving money for graduate school. My home was in the suburbs, my job in downtown, Port, in Phil, downtown Philadelphia. It was a boring job, if I'm honest, and I was really lonely. One of the things I did to cheer myself up was wander around the city on my lunch hour. One fall day, I came upon a perfect stone church with huge red double doors flung wide open and the sound of Bach's toccata and fugue pouring out into the street. That church with its gorgeous mix of Gothic architecture, high Anglican church smells and bells, food cupboard, and feeding ministries was a gift to me. I went weekly and often midweek to mass. I went to book study and I joined the choir. It was a choir of about 40 members, complete with professional section leaders, and we sang accompanied by a gorgeous, amazing pipe organ. That choir rehearsed on Friday evenings, usually in the choir room, but on this one particular Friday, we had been rehearsing in the sanctuary, preparing to sing the Vivaldi Gloria. I left the church as happy as only singing in a group can make a person. I left there as filled with peace as only spending time in holy spaces can make a person. I was so grateful to be part of that community. And it was in this frame of mind that I was walking down the street on my way to the train station, and I was suddenly accosted by a group of pamphlet-bearing evangelicals who stood four or five abreast and blocked my path forward. Smiling joylessly at me, they demanded to know if I was saved, thinking, well, what I'd really like is to be saved from having to have this encounter. I did a quick calculation in my head. I could say something quite rude indeed, but A, that's not very kind, and they're doing the best they know to do, and B, it might backfire. They might start yelling at me about hellfire and my need to say the sinner's prayer before it was too late. Better idea, I thought. I'll be pleasant. I just came from choir rehearsal at my church, I beamed. Heh, that doesn't mean anything. Now, I maybe embroider this in my memory, but in the story in my head, they stepped eagerly and demandingly toward me, and they all spoke at once. But are you saved? Have you given your life to Christ? Have you been born again? Do you know where your soul will go if you die before you get home? I was a little bit terrified. But happily for me, the church bells started to ring the hour, the last time they would do it for the day. And I said, oh, will you listen to that? It's nine, I gotta catch a train. And I pushed past them and I literally ran, ran to the train station. I probably didn't need to run, but I felt like I needed to. 
It's not the only time I've been accosted by Christians who thought they were following Jesus's command to make disciples by accusing people in the street of being hellbound. But it certainly was the creepiest time. And it took all that joy that I had been feeling, and it left me feeling squashed and threatened and depleted. And it also left me with this question. What does it mean to be born again? Jesus appeared on the scene in John's Gospel, calling disciples to follow him and creating a huge buzz by turning water into wine. Gallons and gallons of the very best wine served up at the end of a days-long party when most hosts are left serving their basic house red. After that, he went to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And when he arrived in the temple and saw the money changing hands and people pocketing a tidy profit from changing local money into the currency acceptable in the temple and then pocketing even more money when they sold cattle and sheep and doves for the required sacrifices, Jesus saw it all and made a whip out of cords and drove those merchants out. Those crafty sellers who took advantage of people who'd come such a long way to fulfill their temple obligations. When the Jewish leaders confronted him, he made cryptic, outrageous remarks about tearing down the temple and building it up again in three days. The same temple that had taken 46 years to build. In three days. It was only later, after his death and resurrection, that his friends remembered what he had said and realized that he was talking about his own body. All of which is to say, Jesus was drawing followers, doing signs that invited people to ask questions and to come close to him. And Jesus was inviting skepticism. Who exactly did he think he was? And Jesus was developing opponents. Into this situation comes Nicodemus, a Pharisee, one of the leaders of the community in Judea. He came to Jesus at night. Why, we wonder, did he choose nighttime? Was it because he was afraid? Because he was curious and hopeful, but not bold enough to proclaim it in the broad daylight? Or was it merely that he was overworked and had been busy, as most were, with family and ritual during the week of the Passover? We don't know what mix of motivations moved Nicodemus to seek Jesus out in the nighttime, but under cover of dark, he arrived. And when he got there, he addressed Jesus warmly, respectfully. Rabbi, he said, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. We, he said. It sounds like he and the other leaders had been discussing what to make of Jesus what someone who did such signs could mean. Jesus answered him, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Now, many scholars chastise Nicodemus for his questioning, but I think just as he had addressed Jesus with honor and respect, Jesus returned the compliment. 
No one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above, born anew, born afresh. Nicodemus had recognized Jesus as being from God. For that, Jesus recognized Nicodemus as one ready to be born anew. But Nicodemus missed entirely what Jesus was implying. Seeing that Jesus' actions were from God, that Jesus was from God, Nicodemus was so close to the kingdom. Because in John's gospel, belonging to the kingdom means relating to God. And the way to relate to God is by relating to Jesus, the embodiment for John of God's wisdom and God's word. Nicodemus, eager, curious, earnest, does what any good student would do with his rabbi. He asked a follow-up question. Born from above, how could anyone be born after having grown old? I shouldn't say it, but I'm a little bit with Nicodemus here. What does it mean to be born again? I think I know what those young crusaders for Christ on that long ago Philadelphia street meant, but I couldn't swear to it. I had friends in high school who spoke enthusiastically about their one born again experience. It was considered quite normal to have in the front fly of one's Bible, not your birth date and the date your fourth grade Sunday school teacher gave you your Bible, which was what was in mine, but dates for birth and rebirth. People could name the day and the hour and the place. For some people, the lack of such an experience means a lack of real Christian identity or hope. In a way, to me, it is parallel to the belief in some denominations that a lack of participation in their sacraments, the sacraments of that church, means a lack of real Christian identity or hope. But Jesus used the metaphor of birth. Which one of us was able to determine our own birth? New Testament scholar Anna Carter Florence put it this way. Born is the past tense of the verb to bear. Surely that is an apt description of childbirth. Someone bears us from that world before into this one. She bears the pain, the labor, the weight, the reality, she bears with us, alien creatures growing within her very own body. She bears all that comes with us, blood and milk and mess. We are literally born into being, and it is hard work. So what would it look like to be born again? Nicodemus presses Jesus on this. And I wonder, who hasn't wished at some point to go back, erase, rework some of the chapters in our lives. Who hasn't yearned for a magical rewind button, a do-over, so that the events of a particular day might somehow magically play out differently? Which one of us hasn't held a baby or watched a child discovering something for the very first time, or watched an artist or an athlete in all the strength and ease of youth, and longed for our own innocence, one's own earlier strength, 
before age and years did their burdensome work. Dr. Florence continues, Nicodemus is right, of course. We cannot ever go back and enter our mother's womb a second time. Our mothers cannot be prevailed upon to bear us twice, although some have certainly tried. But Jesus says we must be born of the Spirit. It is the Spirit who will bear us when we are born, a work, born again, who will do the work of bearing us. We do not escort ourselves down the aisle on our own journey from born to reborn. There is another force at work. We cannot do it on our own. We cannot go back and erase or replay the years that have turned out as they have, much as we sometimes wish we could. We cannot bear ourselves. We never could and we never will. But we don't have to, because the Spirit can. The Spirit can usher us from this world of fixed realities to God's realm of new and endless possibilities. And not just one time, so that you can write the date down in a book, but over and over again, the Spirit bears us into newness and freshness of life. It's nothing that we can achieve, and it is always offered to us. We can't achieve it, but we can be more or less open to the rebirth waiting around every corner for us. I believe that the Spirit is constantly calling us into something new, beckoning to us in our interior world, if we can just get quiet enough to listen to it calling to us in the relationships we have with other people, the people we love, the people who love us, and the people who need us, beckoning to us in the stories of our tradition, calling to us from every tree and bush and running stream. Mary Oliver put it this way in her beautiful poem, Wild Geese. I know it's a favorite for many. Some of you may even know it by heart. It has always spoken to me. And I've been, I had been sharing it with people for years before I realized that in Celtic Christianity, the wild goose is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And now I love it even more. It goes like this. You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees 100 miles through the desert, repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes, over the prairies and deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese high in the clean blue air, are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over, announcing your place in the family of things. The world offers itself to our imagination, 
the whole world is crying out to us with the Spirit's voice, pay attention. Jesus said, what is born of the flesh is flesh, what is born of the Spirit is spirit. Sometimes people want to read this as a dichotomy and a ranking, spirit over flesh. But Jesus, incarnation of God's wisdom, was himself a knitting of the two together. And he invites us always into that same knitting, body and spirit interwoven. What did Nicodemus make of all of this? He disappears from the dialogue, and we don't know for sure. But John does report on him later. Later, when Jesus was being accused, Nicodemus protested that in their tradition, when people were accused, they were given a chance to defend themselves. Shouldn't Jesus also be given that chance? And when Jesus was nevertheless executed, it was Nicodemus who showed up with an abundant supply, 100 pounds of aloe, to help prepare his body for burial. We don't know how he was reborn, but I trust that he was reborn again and again from that first night of questioning to that last night of tender care. Most of us in this room, all of us, now that the Sunday school kids have decamped, are adults. Many of us are older. Perhaps we think, I am too settled. It's all too set. Maybe you had a rebirthing experience, but it was years ago. Maybe you think it would be selfish to ask for more. But I don't know how it can be selfish to accept what is being offered to us all the time. Christ's presence, the Spirit's bearing, the world is always new and coming at us, and we can be new too. Now when I run into eager Christians who want to know if I've been born again, I tell them honestly and enthusiastically, oh yes, over and over again. I hope you will be too. Listen, listen, God is speaking.